I want like smoke to go off at the end of that video. I mean, it's like, you know, and you come out, it's like, yeah. I mean, when the church was launched and started, it was a, it was a new power that showed up on the scene in the power of the Holy Spirit. We read about it in that last couple of weeks, right? The Holy Spirit came, the house was shook. The, the people went out, they started preaching the gospel in languages that they didn't even know. People heard it, and boom, the church. 3,000 first day. After that, it was thousands and thousands continued to come and join this thing that was called the church, and it wasn't because of a cool message. It wasn't because, like, the pastor had stage and lights and, and all this cool. Like, it happened because of the work of the Holy Spirit launching this thing called the church. And, uh, and that's what I pray for us today, that we would be empowered not by anything else but the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so today, we're going to continue this journey. If you're just now joining us on this journey, um, we ended Easter. We talked about Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, ascension into heaven, and now the Holy Spirit coming, and now that's what we're talking about, the beginning of the church. Last week, I was grateful for the message that Nikki brought. Wasn't that not a good message? Yes. And, um, and the thing that kind of hit me was this phrase, it's our call and challenge to live up and out, right, as Christ followers. That was one of the big things she talked about last week, that when we live inward and inward lives, and it's all about kind of us and what we experience in life, that's when like life actually gets depressing, right? That's when, that's when uh, purpose starts to melt away. When we start living upwards, meaning we get our assignment from God, we experience God's love, His identity, what we just sang about in worship, that's who we are. We're a child of God, and we live up, then it's easy to live out. It's easy to live that and express that to those around us. And, and so if you missed last week, it was, a, it was a great Sunday. It was Mother's Day. We had all sorts of great things, and, and, but this message was powerful. And, um, and so, I, yeah, if you go, go back and watch it. Now, how many of you have a worship program? Did everybody grab one of these worship programs? Okay, not everybody, but if, if you did, just so you know, if you're new here around New Hope, um, we preach messages here, and we try to make God's Word make sense, and we try to make it practical for you in your life. And, uh, and a part of that is doing fill in the blanks, because who needs to pay attention, right? Like, I need help with that um, when I'm listening to somebody speak, and so that's why we do some of these, to help it kind of get ingrained into our, our minds, and then hopefully into our hearts, and, and we can go back and look at these throughout the week. So you can fill in the blanks uh, this morning as we go along. This morning, we are in chapters 4, 5, and 6, so I got three chapters to cover, and, uh, and the clock says 47 minutes, and it's counting down. So here we go. Um, anybody here loves sports? We got any sports fans in the house? If so, clap. We got it. All right. You, some sports fans. Um, we have any Browns fans in the house? It got a little quieter. All right. So, <clears throat> see, there's something about sports that brings people together, you know? Like um, our family, I've only been to one Ohio State football game in the stadium one time, and that was quite an experience. If you've ever had that experience, it is insane, right? And when you go in there, you don't realize you're joining a club, right? You are now invited into something way bigger than you, and if you don't have red or gray on, you're, you're in the wrong place, all right? So, like, you, you shouldn't be there. Um, and, and what happens with sports, though, is so crazy because all these people show up to watch something happen on a field or, you know, in a game or whatever, and, um, and all these people are sitting side by side, and they're all cheering, they're all shouting, they're all together. When something good happens, they're like, yeah, you know, they all celebrate in big ways. Something bad happens, they're like, boo, and they're all in it together, and there's this unity that happens around this thing in sports that uh, can be, actually can get a little out of hand even at times, right? People can get crazy, 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 and it's usually after a couple of these, and then things get a little loosey and goosey, right, with some people. But there's something that happens. You can have two people sitting side by side in a stadium with thousands and thousands, and they have completely different backgrounds, completely different religious views, political views, religious views. Like, they could be completely opposites, but when they show up in that stadium, they're on the same team, right? See, now, if we can do that at a football game, at a football field, why can't that happen in the church? See, we're going to read a passage of Scripture that we get into in the book of Acts where it shows what was happening in the early church. You had all these different people, actually, we see at the very beginning, there were different languages, different, you know, countries. They were all coming together in Jerusalem, and now they all had something in common that unified them that would have normally, they might not have been talking to each other, and they couldn't talk to each other. And so we see for us, this is the very beginning, and this should be for us in the church, that the thing that they had, they had everything in common. Why? Because they had, what, say with me, Jesus in common. That's why they had everything in common. When you have Jesus in common, you have everything in common. Nikki talked about that last week, but I wanted to reiterate it as we continue the talk this morning, okay? 
if we have Jesus in common, that means we can differ politically. We can differ in, in, uh, in thoughts uh, that happen in our own lives. We can differ in our families. Like, we can have different views and opinions. But when we have Christ in common, it means even if we have differences in other ways, we are unified together. That, that in the church, man, the last two years, I'm, I shouldn't go there. I'm not going to go on a rabbit trail. But the last two years have been crazy. I've seen so many churches split in half because of masks, because of politics, because of black lives, because like all this different stuff. And it's like the enemy got into the church and went, <laughs> because the enemy always wants to create division. That is what Satan's goal is. We see the spirit does something the opposite. He brings unity where there should be disunity, but he brings unity when you have Jesus in common, okay? Now this morning, we're gonna talk about some unity. We're gonna talk about what happened in the early church, um, but but let's get back to what was happening in the story here with the new church. Uh, we're going to end here in Acts 4.31 from last week uh, because, um, excuse me, Peter and John were being questioned by the religious leaders, and, um, and the relig- religious leaders didn't like what was going on, right? The Jewish leaders were like, we tried to squash this whole Jesus thing. We tried, we, we tried to kill him, and like get the, but now they're out there preaching about Jesus and actually healing people in Jesus' name. I'm like, well, we, we're not cool with this. And then they prayed, the people came together, the church came together and prayed in unity. And it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It didn't go downhill, it went up. <laughs> like, the power of what God wanted to do when there was oppression and persecution didn't decrease, it increased. How could it do that? Because they were unified in their message. Their message wasn't a message of hate. It wasn't a message of disunity. It wasn't a message of division. It was a message of Jesus, who is the Messiah. And remember, we talked about the disciples. They didn't start preaching just good messages. They didn't like be like, Jesus had good words, so we thought we'd just keep that going. It's like they were preaching, and they were sharing this message because they saw the risen Savior. They could only witness and testify to what they had seen, and that's what they were doing. We've seen Jesus alive. And so whatever persecution you bring on us, it's not going to change the fact we saw Jesus alive, (laughs) and he taught, and he led us, and he gave us a mission, which was what we watched in that video. Go to to Judea, Samaria, and to other most parts of the world, right? And that's what the book of Acts is. It's how it began. And so here we are. We're we're now in Acts 4, chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 32, and we're just going to keep reading, okay, because I want to use my time well. So if you are with me in the book of Acts, everybody say, yep. Awesome. Here we go. After I take a drink. It's what it says. And the congregation of those who believed were of what? One heart and soul, man. And and, uh, not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him uh, was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them. Man, wouldn't you want to live in abundant grace? It's like, that's what the early church, it was abundant grace was on them. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they, would distri- and they distributed to each um, to the extent that any had need. So we see the early church, there were some things that brought unity. We're going to talk about those here in just a second. But we also see this whole process of generosity. Where was it taken? It was laid at the apostles' feet. So the spiritual leaders, that they laid this, like, okay, now you, as the leaders of the church, know what the Holy Spirit's doing. Now you distribute it. And that's what they did. It came through the church. It went out of the church. And uh, that's how ministry should still work, right? Now Joseph, a Levite um, of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas, and you're going to hear a lot about Barnabas through the book of Acts, okay? Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. I would have loved to know Barnabas. <laughs> Don't you need a Barnabas in your life? <laughs> Can I get a son of encouragement that just hangs out with me, right? Can I get that guy that's just like everything he says, it's like, good job, way to go, those cheerleaders in life. That's Barnabas. Like, he's just an encourager. He has this gift. We call it the gift of exhortation. It's, it's the gift of, of words, right, of blessing. Um, he owned a tract of land, and so he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles', the apostles feet. Not the apostles' feet. That would be different. <laughs> the apostles' feet. And so here's, here is uh, Barnabas moved 
Obviously, he was a wealthy man. He was a business owner. He, he, you know, he had things. He's like, I've got land. I'm not really using it. Or even if he was using it, it doesn't even say. It's just he had a track of land. He sold it. He took the money that he sold it for and gave it to the apostles. He said, here, use it. Let, let it be for the church. Whoever has need, let, let's see that need meeting. Now, I know the moment we start reading this passage, somebody in this room start thinking politically, and you're like, this sounds like communism. And some of you are like, grew up in the 60s, and it's like, this sounds like love, man. Right? Like, it's not, I don't know if any of you grew up in the 60s, like the whole love movement and like that whole thing that was like trying to live in community and nudity and whatever they had. I don't know. It's all sorts of crazy stuff happened out in Woodstock, but, um, but this is different, okay? <laughs> and I want us to understand in this moment as the church is in believers have abundant grace upon them, they were just living things out. They weren't instructed to do this. This wasn't like the apostles saying, this is now how we're going to be organized in the structure by which we're going to do this. And like, that's not what we read. That's not what happened. These things just overflowed out of them because of what they had in common, Jesus and the spirit working, right? That's what they had in common. And so I want to talk about two quick things that brought them unity. And I think that they had unity in the spirit. Okay, number one, you can fill in the blank there. They had unity in the Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit connected them in a way that they weren't connected before. Okay? Because once you have the Spirit, the deposit of God's presence inside of you, um, things start changing inside of you. You start living a different way because God starts working through you in a way that, um, that you wouldn't naturally do. And so they had this Holy Spirit in them. They had the common message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they, they had this unity wrapped around this. And so this unity of spirit, you're going to see like all then through the New Testament, the letters Paul wrote back to the churches he planted and, and the letters from different apostles and, 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 and encouragements, you're going to see that this one topic, this, this word unity, was one of the biggest things that was regularly attacked in the church that there was a pattern of what the enemy would do. Somebody would come in with a different idea who wasn't a Christ follower, who didn't have the unity of the Spirit. They might look like a Christian, but they weren't. They would come in with their own agenda and then try to split and divide and pull people their own direction. You're gonna, it, when you read the whole New Testament, you're going to see that a lot. You're going to see a lot of warnings to the church leaders. Watch out. Watch out for false prophets or false teachers or watch out for the wolves that come in that look like sheep. Like, watch out for all, like, it's all through there because this is the thing I believe the enemy tries to work at the most, bringing disunity in the church. Um, we, we see how important this was to Jesus in John 17. Jesus, in a prayer, that we have a recorded prayer of Jesus to his Heavenly Father, which is awesome that we can see that relationship, that Jesus was praying for us and for the church. He said, God, I want them to be one as you and I are one. As you and I are one, let them be one, and them one with me. And, and he, he's praying for unity in the church, that we would all be one. That is God's, that's Jesus' dream church. That's his picture of his bride. We see all through the, uh, the New Testament and even the Old Testament, we see this imagery of, of Christ being the groom and the church being the bride. And, and one day they're going to be united in marriage. And that whole image, that's why like marriage for us as Christians is a big deal because it represents for us the image of Christ in us. It's not just man and woman and all that stuff. Like it's even deeper theologically. And so we see this image that, that Christ wants to be unified, one, with his church. And one day that's going to happen when he returns. Can't wait for that day. Amen. Like, we look and long for that day. That's why it's called the capital D Day all throughout the New Testament, because we want that to happen. We, but we live in the season of the Holy Spirit, and I'm grateful that God has grace and His kindness is extending so that more people can hear the message and receive the good news of the gospel. I mean, that's what He's doing. He's waiting. of this unity that Jesus wants, the enemy comes in and tries to create division. And the reality in the early church, this perfect unity didn't last that long. <laughs> it's a bummer. I hear so often, I don't know if you have heard people say this, or certain denominations say this. Um, I, I hear pastors, I just want to be an Acts church. I want a church to be an Acts church. I'm like, have you read the book of Acts? There's some crazy stuff that happens in the book of Acts. We're going to read about one in the next chapter, okay? If you want to be an Acts church, get ready for some crazy stuff, all right? Um, 
Because even in the beginning church, in the church of Acts, it wasn't perfect because it was still sinners trying to learn how to live together. And our flesh still comes out. When I say flesh, it's our sin nature. The thing that kind of, we protect ourselves or we want things for ourselves, that selfish thing that comes out of us, that's sin. It's that sin nature that comes out. And that always creates a, a, um, a grinding against God's holiness. Our imperfection will grind against God's holiness and perfection. And for us as Christians, we have a, uh, this is a weird image, I didn't even, we have like an, an oil between us, <laughs> a lubricant. Do you know what lubricants do? They smooth things out so they don't grind. So like Jesus is like the WD-40 of our spiritual life. He gets between our sin and his righteousness and he fills in the gap, right? But there are times where we ignore Jesus, we ignore his word, we ignore, and it's like we wipe away the WD-40, <laughs> right? We wipe away those things. And, um, and we miss out on that beautiful thing that is in sync, and it, it starts to grind. And that's what happens in the church because of our sin nature. That's not in my notes. That was a good illustration. I'm gonna, remind me to say that next gathering, okay? <laughs> and so, so we see the early church. It doesn't actually last long because we see all these, these warnings in the church. So this is what it says in, in the book of Romans to the church in Rome, uh, verse 14. Uh, verse 9 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. That's the challenge. Let us as Christ followers uh, do, uh, make every effort. It's like do whatever we can do on our part to make every effort to le- lead to peace, that's, that sense of unity, and mutual edification. I mean, we're building each other up. We're not tearing each other down. Tearing each other down is what the enemy wants. We build each other up. That's what we do. That's what Christ wants, right? And the image. Then later on, you see Paul planted a church in Corinth, and Corinth got messy real quick. All right, if you read First and Second Corinthians, you're going to see some messy stuff in the church. And actually, it got so messy. Um, this is where this uh, he had to say this in First Corinthians, first chapter, verse ten. He's like right away because <laughs> he's writing this to a group of people that didn't look like Christ prayed for. He says, "Now I urge you, brothers and sisters." By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why in that name? Because that's the name that unifies us, okay? That you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. He's pushing them and challenging them because there was disunity in the church in Corinth. So this is what I want you to understand. We have God's desire and dream and we have sin nature and humanity over here. We will always live in that tension until Jesus comes back. And that kind of sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> Our part as Christ followers, your part as a Christian, is to do whatever you can do for you to make every effort to maintain that unity and peace with other Christ followers. That means not being selfish or selflessly motivated or not be full of pride. Like, like it's walking in humility, and you can disagree about topics, but you don't have to be disagreeable. You can have different ideas about it. Like, even at, like in our church, even in our like leadership, like we have different ideas of different theological things, and it's like, okay, well, that's not an essential. That's not the center of the gospel, so we can disagree about that. That's okay. I have no issue with that. It's okay to disagree, but we have to do it in unity. We have to keep the unity of the faith. See, they, at the early, at the right, at the beginning, the Spirit was poured out in such a powerful way, and it brought them to this unity in the Spirit. And I, I would pray that we would do all we can do to fight for that unity in the Spirit and against the enemy's work. Blessing, where I th- feel like we're in a season of unity. We're, we're, this is a great season to be uh, here at the church, and I'm glad that you get to be here in this season. There's been seasons in the past where we didn't have that. There's been seasons where people try to come in and do things. There's seasons where, like, as a spiritual leader, I, like, I had to kick people out of this place because they were evil. They looked like Christians, but, man, they were, like, tearing people up. Those things break the heart of a leader, and they break the heart of Jesus. But I need you to know, as, a, as your pastor and as spiritual leaders here, we will do all we can do to protect you as a church member from somebody that would come in and bring disunity. And that's the role of all of us in a church family. When you belong, when you see something that's like, man, they're coming in and they're coming out with their own agenda. You're a part of the, excuse me, can we have a conversation with that person? And then you can come to us and say, I see somebody doing something that's going to bring disunity. 
and then we will deal with that as spiritual leaders. And, and that's why that those processes are put in place in Scripture. <laughs> that's why we, we want to do those things. We want to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now, there's a second unity that I see in this story, and it's unity through generosity, okay? Unity through generosity, which is actually the big story in 32 through verse 37. Because it said all the people did not consider their stuff, their own stuff, but they took what they had and, and they brought it to the feet of the, the apostles and the apostles distributed and everybody had what they needed. Wouldn't that be cool? Now here's the thing. That's what heaven looks like, y'all. <laughs> there's no 7-Eleven where you've got to go buy slushies in heaven. There's free slushies. Woo! Not that that's what we should be really excited about. Jesus is in heaven, all right? So like, but when we talk about this whole idea of generosity, like the picture that, that God gives us of the church is that, that there shouldn't be a need that goes unmet. Now, there's a need in the church that we love each other so much that out of the overflow of our thankfulness for what God's doing in us, we see the need and we meet the need, right? And so we see this picture, and, and so I want to describe two things. One, like I said earlier, some of you, when you read this and you hear this, it's like, sounds like the church, it sounds like communism to me. Let me define that because it's very different. Communism is, is um, an authoritative rule that says what you have is mine. That's communism. And some of you are like, anyways, I'll stop there. Like right now, some of you are like, that's what's happening. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. <laughs> that happens around the world. That happens inside companies where there's bosses who rule with that type. Like what you have is mine. And they're greedy. Like it's all wrapped around greed. It's what you have is mine. And I haven't seen it work. So the difference that I see in Scripture, this is a different thing. This is what I have is yours. Do you hear the difference? What you have as mine is authoritative and control to try to create something that is going to be very difficult to create. Biblical or Christian community is me living in a way that says, well, what I have is yours. If I have something that you need, use it. If I see a need and I can meet that need, as a Christ follower, I'll, I'll meet that need. It's living open-handedly. That's what they were doing. This was, not, this was not the apostles looking at all the Christians and saying, we have this new community of Christ followers, and this person's poor and this person's rich. Therefore, we're putting a rule. You must give us your stuff so we can give it to... We don't see that. There was no authoritative or spiritual leadership control. This was happening out of the overflow of the Spirit's work in the heart of the church. They just wanted to do it. Because when they had more, or they, some had more, some had less, they didn't want anybody to go without. And so they're like, I, I don't need this here. And everybody was taken care of. I mean, that is a work of abundant grace, isn't it? It's grace for the person who has more. Man, when you have a lot more than you need and you get to figure out fun ways to give it away, boy, you are full of abundant grace. It's so much fun to do that. And when you are going without and you're struggling, you, you can't make it and you're working your hardest, but it just seems like, uh-uh-uh, and somebody blesses you with something. Th their heartbeat was gratefulness. It was thankfulness. And so we see this unity that they had through this spirit of generosity. What I have is yours. I see a need. I meet a need. Here's my definition of generosity. And I don't, I don't think I have a slide for it, but no. Here's my definition. It's giving with a heart of thankfulness for the glory of God and his kingdom. It's giving what you have with a thankful heart for the glory of God and for his kingdom. That's what they were doing. We are now, that's what they're saying, we all belong to something bigger than us. We belong to Christ, and we have everything in common because with Jesus in common. And now we all belong to this greater kingdom, and so what I have is yours, and, and we can bless each other and take care of each other's needs, and it wasn't for their own glory. Have you ever seen somebody really rich give away a lot of money, but there had to be a press release and a news article about it, and it had to be on the cover of this magazine? At that point, who is it about? Don't get me going, Jesus. 
<clears throat> there have been times here at the church that new people showed up to the church, and, uh, and they wanted to do an event inside the church building. <clears throat> and I said, we don't, we don't do those kind of events here. And their next phrase was, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a generous giver, and, uh, and I would love to give even a special gift to the church. I'm just encouraging you in that. And I'm like, you can leave the church now. And they did. Because that's called manipulation. There's nothing spiritual attached to that. That's pride. And that pride only ends in them getting glory for the gift that they gave. And if they get the glory for the gift that they gave, do you know where their glory ends? With that gift. It, go, it does not go into heaven. <laughs> that special offering, right? Like, <clears throat> when we're looking at the early church, they were giving out of a thankful heart, and who got the glory? God did, because God brought them unity. If somebody's giving, that's why he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. The whole point isn't for people to see you do it. It's, it's about your relationship with God living open-handed to see the needs and meet the needs of those around you. Now, this whole idea of generosity, it rubs against American consumerism, we struggle with this because what we think is what I earned and worked hard to get is mine. If you wanted it, you should have gotten it yourself. Get a job. Right? And some of you are like, oh, where's he going? <clears throat> where's he going? Here's what I'm saying. I want us to be a people who are unified with generosity. And here's what I'm grateful for here at New Hope. We say we're a generous church, and I truly believe the majority of people in this church building, you're generous people. When a need pops up here at New Hope, like for us as the spiritual leaders, as the pastors, all we have to do is like go to the small groups and say, hey, I need uh, just a rose. All the small groups that we have, which is where our community happens here at New Hope, give towards that need, and that need gets met. Boom. It's crazy how many times that happens here at New Hope. There's a need, the need gets met. Here's a need, the need, even with the church building and things that we've done, like, hey, we don't have funds to buy a heater to replace heater. Boom, the whole church, you guys gave more than we needed for the heaters, so we bought more heaters for the bathrooms. Woo-hoo. Now you have warm toilets, all right? So like, <clears throat> it's good to be generous. It's good to be generous. That was the early church. Now, Here's the tension. When some people read this, now they think they go back to, well, why don't we live that way today? Everybody should, nobody should be rich then, right? So nobody should, that's not what it said. That's not what it said at all. Barnabas still made a good living. <laughs> and then he went on missionary trips. How do you think he funded those missionary trips with Paul? I, he asked, I think he had it. I think he could afford it because he made a good living. And we see, like, even with Jesus, these women were following with Jesus as followers and disciples, and these women were funding his ministry because they had their own businesses to fund the ministry. Like, it takes money to do ministry. And so we see that picture that, no, there are, there's going to be rich and there's always going to be poor. That's always going to be a thing while we live on this earth. But as long as we live on the earth, we take care of each other's needs as they come up. We see a need, we meet a need. Now, why don't we live this way in this perfect little unity of this? Well, even in the early church, just so you know, here's, you don't have to write this down. Even the early church had freeloaders. Because <laughs> I know right now some of you are like, doesn't that mean just, then some people are just going to be like, yeah, give to me, give to me, give to me. How many of you know somebody like that? Oh, you're like, oh yeah, I'm related to him. It's my uncle. He just keeps asking for money. <laughs> right? Like, we know people like that. And the church, we know people like that who run the circuit in churches. And, and whenever they have a need, well, I'll show up at that church for a little bit, and they'll give to me, and they'll help take care of me. And when, when I feel like I've overdone my welcome, I'll go to that church, and then they'll start doing it. Like, there's people in our community that do this. There, there will always be freeloaders. So is that an excuse to then not be generous? No, it's not. But for us as Christians, uh, we see in Second Thessalonians that Paul actually spoke to this. And so those of you who want to be freeloaders, here's the, here's the word to you. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not able to eat either. Because they had freeloaders that were living on the generosity of the church. And the church is like, but you're able and you're not working? We got a problem. We got a problem. And, and 
And it says this, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting as busybodies. It says, Now we command and exhort such persons in the Lord Jesus Christ to work peacefully and eat their own bread. So this is the word to freeloaders. <laughs> like, the whole point is we got rich and poor, and so the poor live off the rich. No, if you're capable, you get to be a part of the generosity. You get to live in community. Some can give more than others. Some can give less. But we are all a part of the spirit of what God created in spiritual and biblical community that we all play our part. That's why I love having a church. We, we have people have plenty of money. We have people who have little money. And we, like, that's the church. We're an eclectic grunt, a bunch of people, right? And that's the way the church should look like. That we can do both. We can experience both ends. And, um, and even today, we can learn how to do this and live open-handed as Christ followers in the church, okay? So we see they had a, a unity in the Spirit, and they had unity in generosity, and it was all driven by their unity in Christ. None of this was controlled by the apostles. All of this was done out of the overflow of the Spirit's work in a Christ follower. And that's what I'm encouraging us what is the Holy Spirit overflowing in your life? Right? What is he doing? Now we get to Acts chapter 5, and this whole next part of the Bible for us in the early church, for some of us in this room, it's like, why is that in there? Why did this happen? Anybody doing the reading plan? You guys are doing the reading plan, like right ahead, and you're like, oh, how's Tim going to handle this one? Right? What, what are we going to talk about in Acts chapter 5? Because this gets a little, a little crazy. So we're going to read uh, Acts chapter 5 now, verses 1 through 11. So here's the church, unified, unity in spirit, unity in generosity, okay? All right, let me take a drink, and we'll move on to chapter 5. All right, I have 18 minutes and 9 seconds. Here we go. I'm trying to bless you all, all right? So, so we get now into chapter 5, and we see the continuation of this community. And now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So, so we have Barnabas who did it out of generosity and he's led it at the feet of the apostles. Like, go ahead, distribute this as, as you see fit. With his wife's full knowledge, so wanted to get that in there, they worked on this together. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now let me remind you, none of the apostles told him he had to do this. You with me? This was not like a law of the church, <laughs> okay? So nobody was forcing any of this on them. Giving was never commanded of the church. It was an overflow of the heart. And so they sold a piece of land. They, they were committing to do that and to give it to the apostles, but he held back a part of the prophets. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Whoa, pause. What? The only other time this was mentioned was with Judas a little while ago, right? <laughs> Satan entered into Judas, and then Judas played out the plan to have Jesus arrested and all that. And now we're seeing it in the early church with two Christians uh, who are trying to belong to this family and, and now Peter's just like, boom. How have you let Satan enter your heart? Whoa. Uh, has has uh, so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. I, I don't know how Peter knew it. I, I, I'm assuming, this is an assumption, okay? We don't see it explicitly in this passage, that the Holy Spirit gave him a word of knowledge that this is what just happened. And so Peter asks the question and then just says it. He says, how have you let Satan enter and fill you that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Now, this is why we know the Holy Spirit isn't like some kind of thing, like a ghost that just kind of floats around. It's not like the Force in Star Wars. Like the, the Holy Spirit is a person because we see in the scriptures you can lie. You can't lie to just something. You, you lie to a person. And he's saying, well, how did you lie to the person of the Holy Spirit in you? 
in this process and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Then it gets really crazy. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Okay. Who wants to go back to the book of Acts? Let's have a meeting. The pastor's calling a meeting. Oh, no. Oh, no. What is going on in the early church? Let's keep reading. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him, like you do. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land. Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, I'm going to stop right there. Peter was showing more grace to Sapphira because it wasn't just an accusation. He was trying to give her a chance to tell the truth. Is this the price you sold it for? She could have said, no. But she said, listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. (laughs) Oh, dear. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband like you do. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. What? Just happened. Like, some of you are new to the faith, and you read a passage like this, and you're like, wait a minute. What is going on? Why did this happen? Just so you know, this is the last time we see this happening through the New Testament, okay? Um. And so this, this isn't a practice now of church leadership to, like, hold you accountable to not lying. Like, that, that wasn't, there was no precedent sent for that or at this very moment or, or set for that. Um, but we see a very clear moment in the history of the church. If we rewind and go back to when Jesus or when God called the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and then started building a relationship with them, leading them to the promised land. We see some things happen in that story with the Israelites that hadn't been repeated since, okay? We see them trying to figure out how to, how to have a relationship with God, and then it got to the point where they didn't want to do what God said, and then God said, well, I'm sorry, this generation is going to have to die before you can enter the promised land. We see the setting of a stage of how God wants to relate with his people in that scene in the Old Testament, and we're seeing this scene at the very beginning of the book of Acts of the church just starting, this unity of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, we see Peter with power and authority like none other that has walked ever since. Peter had power and authority in the Holy Spirit in this moment. Do something that, that helped the church understand God. Because if all you knew of God was grace and abundant grace and that's it, and you just start living like this, and it's like, oh, this is like really cool and it really feels great. There's a part of God that we need to understand that God is holy. That means if God is holy, that means the Holy Spirit is holy. They and we were given God's holiness, God's spirit inside of us. And the very first opportunity we see with Ananias and Sapphira, when the Holy Spirit is telling them to do something, sell the land. This wasn't under the authority of the apostles. This was the Holy Spirit's leading in their life. And so then it can be used to distribute. The sin issue here was not that they held back money. It wasn't even an issue of giving. They lied. They lied to who? The Holy Spirit and God, and God is setting a precedent in the early church to help them understand the seriousness of lying and deceit against the Holy Spirit and God himself. This is like crazy stuff at the beginning of the church, isn't it? 
And we see what happened. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Of course it did. Did Peter call you into the tent? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like uh-oh. You know, like, <laughs> don't say a word until he asks you a question, all right? Don't say anything. Like, but it wasn't a matter of trying to fear Peter. It was, it was a fear of God and God's holiness. Why did this happen? Here's scholars and theologians, they read and say, like, why did this happen? I think for us, the whole issue here was the issue of motive and lying. God always sees the heart of the action. You cannot lie to God. You cannot lie to the Holy Spirit. You can't get away with it with God. There's no hiding. So you need to check your motives. <laughs> right? When we see the, 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 the sin in this situation, it was that they lied to God and the Holy Spirit. And boom, they died. Great fear came over the camp. The issue is our heart motives. When we are doing something, we see the early church, it was done out of motivation and unity in the Spirit. It wasn't done out of compulsion. It wasn't done out of guilt. It wasn't done out of a control. It wasn't done because they told me I have to. It was done because the Holy Spirit was leading them to do and live this way. When we lie to the Holy Spirit, in it, when we choose to sin, we lie to God. Right? When we... When we know what we're doing is absolutely wrong and against God's love and His Word and His, His desire for us, and we think we can get away with it, we lie to God. And we quench, put out, snuff the Holy Spirit in our life. There will always be consequences when we lie to God and the Holy Spirit. In this instant, in the scene, in the early church, it was... You die, the young men come and get you. Just so you know, we don't have any of those young men in the church. That's not a ministry position here, all right? <clears throat> we need the body collectors again. We got something happening. Um, God always sees our hearts. He sees the heart of the action. He looks at the depths of who we are. And so we need to be checking our motives. Why are we doing what we're doing? Is this a call to holiness? Yes. As the cross has completed our forgiveness. Amen? Like, so when we become Christ followers, we are fully and totally forgiven in the, in the presence of God. And then what we say is, if you have been forgiven, then why don't you live forgiven and not go back to your sin? To go back to your sin is to say that forgiveness wasn't good enough for me. Right? And that's the tension of the rest of our human life. <laughs> it's the tension between our sin and selfishness and God's perfection and holiness. But we're living in forgiveness and we're on that journey of God making us more like Him. That's the spiritual journey that God takes us on. And we show grace to each other on that journey. We love each other through that journey. We create spirits of unity in that journey. And we walk each other through that because we're all at different points in our walk with Christ, okay? <clears throat> and so let's check our hearts. So even when it comes to giving, we see this. This he was talking about generosity in this. In Second Corinthians nine seven it says, "Each one of you must do as he has decided, where in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion." I mean, you, like this is talking about giving, okay? So like, if you're going to be generous, you don't do it out of. Um, First, reluctancy. It's like, I'm doing it because I have to do it. They said I should do it. I'm going to do it. I'll just be honest with you. God doesn't want it. If that's your heart and your attitude, God doesn't want it. He doesn't need it. Like, God's not poor, okay? Like, God, God will do what he wants to through he wants to when he wants to. It's a blessing when we get to be a part of that story. But if you're doing it out of, like, grudgingly and, like, reluctantly and, like, I got to do this, just keep your money. Keep your stuff. Keep your mower. Keep your weed whacker. Keep, don't just... just like it, it, <clears throat> or under compulsion, meaning like don't do it for a quick good feel. 
You know, like the person who buys the coffee for the person behind them and then the rest of the day they feel really good about themselves. It was a freaking cup of coffee they like meet a real need for somebody around you. Because those cup of coffee things look great on Facebook and social media, and then like somebody gets credit for it. Who gets the glory? It's usually not God in that process that gets the glory because you're not saying, can you pay for their coffee, and can you tell them this is for God's glory? Like, now you're a weirdo, okay? <laughs> and they're going to be thinking, who is that? I want to, you know. For God loves a what? Cheerful giver. Like, he looks at the heart. He looks at the motives of whatever it is we're doing. And we want to be a people that live open-handedly. We want to be a, a people that have unity in spirit. The Holy Spirit unifies us. It goes beyond the things that we think or politics or race or understandings or opinions. Like when we are unified in the spirit, we are unified in Christ. And we should make every effort to do that, to be unity, to have unity through generosity. We live open-handed with one another. It's like, God, my, mine is yours, God. Like what, what do you need to use this stuff for? It's all yours. And when we live that way, he shows up, and we get the joy and the pleasure of doing that. And when we do it, we need to be just checking our heart and our motives. Do we need credit for this thing that we just did? If you need credit for serving, if you need credit for doing the thing you just did, it is not from the right heart. Well, they just don't appreciate me enough because I come and I do that thing. Have you been to that church? And that? It's like, if that's what you need, go somewhere else. Now, I'm not saying that that churches should abuse people. You should be thanked. Leaders should say, thank you for doing that. And just so you know, here at New Hope, we do that. <laughs> like, we created a culture of that. We thank the people that give and serve and, and, and do those kind of things. But you shouldn't be doing it to get, it. like, if you have the right heart motive, you're just doing something like, God, you see this. It's between you and me. And man, thank you for letting me be a part of it, of whatever that is. Okay, I have three minutes to do a whole other section, and I'm not going to do it. So are you ready for the next one real quick? Those of you who can't sleep tonight without filling the blank. Because then you get into Acts chapter 6 as the church continues, and we see that the church was growing and growing and growing. The apostles were getting busier and busier and busier, and they're trying to figure out how to do this. And, and so real quick summary of chapter 6. All of a sudden, some of these Jews over here were complaining to these Jews over here that their um, widows weren't being looked after by the apostles. And the apostle said, well, we can't even get to them. We can't do that. And so they said, we need more people to do ministry. And so they called seven men to come up underneath them as the apostles. And said, you have the spirit. Now you go and you take care of the needs and you serve in the church to make sure that those widows are being taken care of over there and those people are being taken care of. And they start letting them do the work of the ministry. And we get to chapter, uh, verse 4 in that passage, uh, 2, 3, 4. But this is what they said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The apostles said, our ministry to the church body collectively is for us to be talking to our Heavenly Father and for us to be teaching them the Word of God. I see that that is still the role of a pastor. Our, our, our main role as pastors is to, we're supposed to be really connected with God. <laughs> and really praying for the church and for and just praying to God and then teaching the word of God. And then we see in Ephesians 4 that whole model of the early church moved towards then all of us doing the work of ministry. Like our job is to equip everyone to do the works of ministry and that's what happened in chapter 6. Now they're equipping, they're empowering and more people are doing the works of ministry when it takes it all the way down to verse 7 uh, of this passage and it says, the word of God kept spreading why? Because more people were doing ministry. They were focusing on the Word of God. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So even these spiritual leaders, Jewish leaders, were coming to faith, and it continued to grow. Why? Because more people were doing the works of ministry. And each one was doing as they were called to do in the church. And here's the last fill in the blank for you, because all of us in this room need to understand that we all have a part to play in the church. It's not just the pastor's job to do the pastoring, right? It's all of us have our part to play in the church body, unified by the Spirit to use our gifts and all that stuff. Now, tonight, we are celebrating our volunteer celebration. For us, it's our big thank you <laughs> to those that serve. And, um, and if you want to understand more about this, I'm going to talk a little bit about that tonight. So if, you're, if you missed that whole section, we'll, we'll dig in that.
this evening at Round Lake. I'll talk about that in a second. But the reality is the church is people. It's not a building. An hour on a Sunday. The church is people, and we all belong as people to the body of Christ. We get to. We get to live in unity. We get to live in the spirit. We get to live in love. We get to live in generosity. We get to live that way. And my challenge to us today is to fight for the unity in the church. Fight to be unified with one another. And it sounds like countercultural, like to fight in unity. Like, yeah, because things are going to come to bring disunity. You fight against those to keep the unity in the church. You live, let's live open-handed and generous people. And let's check our hearts and let's be right with God and the Holy Spirit and let's play our part in the church body all together. That's what the early church was doing and we get to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for giving us a picture here in the early church and, and for challenging us, knowing that you are a holy God. There's no way we could have been holy enough to get to you, and so you sent your son down here to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins and make us holy before you, covering us with his righteousness in your presence. Thank you, God, for that perfect gift of salvation. I pray, God, for all of us in this room who are Christ followers, that you would, this week, tear down some things. Maybe some of us in this room are lying to you and your Holy Spirit even today. I'm praying that you'll convict us so we can be free from it. Thank you for not killing us. <laughs> Thank you for covering us with your grace and loving us loving us through that as we ask for forgiveness and inviting us into that relationship. So help us walk into that this week, God. Whatever you want to accomplish in us and through us, help us live open-handed to you in Christ's name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Amen.